welcome back in Startup Sparks and Serendipity. On this side, it's Max speaking. Who's on the other side? <laughs> it's Mike. How are you doing? Very nice. How are you doing? I can't complain. It was actually a very good week, especially the last couple of days were great. We had some kind of a breakthrough, at least a good step in the right direction uh, at Blair, the startup uh, I'm working on. So that was good. I uh, don't want to <laughs> tell you too much because it's not finalized yet, but it uh, was a small success or a medium success that made me very happy. Cool. Very interesting. Maybe we should uh, update the community sooner or later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as soon as it's finalized, happy to to elaborate and tell you why I'm potentially very excited. Excellent. Perfect. I also just realized, by the way, that um, when we started this podcast, I, I think we still had two different um, kind of regions um, where we where we lived. I think you were still in San Francisco and now we're funny enough, both kind of back in our old hometown um, because of COVID, as far as I imagine. So again, Corona definitely brought us together, uh, <laughs> not just through the podcasting, but also geographically. That's true, but we still didn't really see each other, which is a pity. And we have to change that soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's cool that everybody joins in. We, we wanted to do a little shorter episode today um, where we actually got some very positive feedback on the mental model um, episode. So we, we thought to be continued um, and maybe also to go a little more in detail with like two to three mental models that we wanted to discuss that kind of have also shaped us personally um, in maybe a couple of challenges that we had kind of came across with over, over the lifetime, <laughs> in the short lifetime. But I think this was kind of the agenda of today and also covering a couple of tools and, and maybe also book recommendations. Um, but I think to start off, uh, maybe a, a little retrospect of this week, Mike, what was a very interesting thing maybe that you have come across um, this week that, that has kind of brought you a different eye on a certain topic or subject? Mm. Uh, I think for me this week, other than having a, a good week at work, where we just generally made, made, made a lot of progress, created some, uh, some cool feature for our product. I think other than that, one thing that I did again this week was writing. Mm -hmm. I actually have neglected that a bit in the weeks before. And it really showed me again how writing about something really focuses your attention and also sometimes teaches you things about a concept that you may have known for a long time or where you're already an expert, but you, you are remembering a nuance that you knew before or you, you go on that kind of research journey where you click the first link and then you end up at the seventh link or so and then you've learned something. <laughs> Uh, so I finished an article last night of a multi-part series I, I want to write about networks and uh, network effects. And that was really good. It was a lot of fun. And um, it, it will take a lot, uh, a lot of time to actually finish that because it will be fairly long. Mm -hmm. But I think that was one of the most interesting things because I dove really deep into complex networks and the math behind it and also the relationship with the current pandemic. So uh, th cool. that taught me something new. What was it for you? Uh, just one question there. Where can people find it as soon as it's published? Uh, I'm actually currently creating my own blog. So I'll probably publish it there and I'll, I'll tell you once that's live. Cool. And otherwise my writing is mostly on Medium, but that's actually may, maybe can give me a, a quick feedback on that while we're live. So sure. I, my, my plan is actually to publish my more 
self-improvement focused or even mental model focused work a bit more on medium mm -hmm. and then have the startup related things and also other like self-improvement and mental model things on my personal blog because my feeling was if i mix everything on medium then my current readers don't really like they signed up for mental models and self-improvement not necessarily for startup things so I don't really want to mix it, but I'm not 100% sure if that's the best idea. So do you have any, any feedback on that? Um, yes, from my, of course, beginner's mind looking at this, uh, I wouldn't separate it, actually. Because hmm. I believe that both topics are part of Mike and both topics are maybe not related from a, from a topic perspective, but I think they're both related to your understanding of certain subjects and and also looking at at kind of companies and personal brands that have built up content and also linked it they have never kind of spread topics they have only spread the medium for the sake of reaching a different audience in my opinion but not necessarily mm -hmm. for the topic as far as i could see it from an outside view and i think also maybe looking at for example stripe um, I, I know that they have published content on the same kind of blog portal one one article about developers or for reach uh, like kind of with the audience for for developers and one for people that want to want to kind of integrate stripe from a business perspective so mm. what what's what's the goal do you want to separate the audience or the topics uh i actually think the things i don't really care that much mm. I, I like my feeling is I'm writing mostly for myself and then there is a, a subset of people that already like it. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's not necessarily personal branding, but just my own thinking factory. And then also sometimes when I write things, I find other people that are interested in the topics I write about. But I think probably what makes the most sense if I just cross publish most of the things then yeah. just have it on my personal blog, have it on medium as well. Maybe I lose some SEO points, but uh, I don't really care about that. Yeah, that was a good point. I think I'll, I'll reflect a bit on that and then I'll update you maybe in the next episode. Cool. Excellent. So what was your week? What, what was the most interesting thing you did? Um, actually, I, I told you last uh, in the last episode, right? I had a couple of days where I was kind of sick. Uh, my stomach wasn't feeling that well. And one thing that I understood afterwards um, is the importance of an anchor point um, in life. Because especially in the two, two days that I was kind of off, yeah. I really have kind of the morning anchor that I, that I usually try to have, which most of the times is sports. Um, and I really felt, of course, I was sick and my body was still recovering. But nevertheless, I, th I still think that the importance of an anchor point in a week and also in a day is something that really helps me focus on the most important topics, gets me more productive. Um, and I really felt that the anchor point is getting more and more important in life, uh, especially for me personally now. I think two, three years ago, I wouldn't have said that, but I think now it feels, feels very important. And by saying anchor point, do you mean a certain routine that you can just rely on every single day? Or what, what do you mean yeah. exactly? I, I've, 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 I've kind of used the word because I came across, um, I think Dwayne Johnson, of course, everybody knows him from the entertainment industry. He uses... The Rock? Yeah, The Rock, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he uses his kind of morning training, morning exercise, and he calls it the anchor point of, of his day, that if he doesn't do his training, he feels that he, he's not productive at all for the rest of the, day, of the day. And I kind of felt something very similar in the last months. 
when I kind of skipped the training or skipped um, a, one part of, 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 of my very short morning routine, um, then I kind of immediately felt the effects on, on the day for, for, for the sake of productivity at least. Okay. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's fairly similar for me. Like I notice when I don't really have, I don't know, like a morning routine or at least something that I start the day off with, then it's usually a less productive day. Sometimes I can recover later in the day, but usually the best thing is just to have a specific start to the day where you don't really have to think too much about your routine. Yeah. So yeah, totally Great. feel that. Actually, that's a good transition into the mental model thing because I think my first mental model is actually related to that that I wanted to talk about today. But as a quick reminder for everyone listening what mental models are, so basically mental model is a fairly broad term for concepts or frameworks or worldviews that you yourself use or that other people are using. And usually it's to understand the world and understand life. And it's basically concepts that have a very high explanatory value and can usually be applied to different aspects. So to give you one very simple example is i think we i don't know if we talked about that before but markets if you think about a market um, a market is where a like supplier and someone who wants to buy stuff meets and markets are very old like back in the i don't know like a couple of thousand years ago you could just go on a market and buy some fruit you can still do that but nowadays even something like airbnb is something like a market because there are people who are offering as uh, their apartments as hosts and then there are other people who demand who buy it so if you understand how markets work and what the market dynamics are you can understand a lot about the world not only in the business sense but also in a more uh, economic or societal sense and mm. the first mental model i wanted to talk about today is co the compound effect and for me the compound effect is one of the most important mental models because I believe that compounding is one of the most, most powerful forces in the universe. And I'm not the only person who, who thinks that. Actually, many smart people have said that before. And the cool thing about uh, the, the compounding effect is that by definition, if you compound things enough, then the growth changes from linear growth to exponential growth. And exponential growth is something that our mind can not really imagine. It's very tough to actually think about it. But uh, I'll just give you an example. Um, the, the easiest application of compounding is compound interest. So if you invest your money, you get interest on that. And then the interest you earned will earn interest in the next year. And to give you a small like math example, when you start investing, when you're really early, it's actually one of the best ways of ensuring that you're rich when you're retiring. So let's assume you're investing 10K when you are, I don't know, 20 years old, or let's say 25 years old, and then you uh, earn interest on it over 40 years. And let's assume just for the sake of simplicity, you're in 10% interest every single year. And then obviously the interest you earned earns, in, earns interest as well. If you compound that over 40 years, then you would have $452,000. Like 10K invested at the beginning, no other investments, you would end up with over 450K, almost half a million. That's a lot of money uh, for not having to do anything. 
And now the contrast to it is if you would invest the $10,000 without compound interest, so you would only earn interest on the $10,000 and not on the additional money that you're earning, then after 40 years, you would have 50K instead of 450K. <laughs> and that just, it's insane, right? So almost all of the money in this example you would have earned, you would have earned by compound interest and not by the initial investment in itself. So the longer term you think in finance, but also in other areas, the easier it is to be successful just by putting in the work or in this instance, having the capital work for you. Almost 90% of the value here is created by the money that you earn through interest rather than the initial investment. And that can be applied to many different areas as well. You, you always read about these overnight success startup stories and almost always that's not the case. Almost always it's people who have been working for years and years and maybe on a different problem, but they've learned so many things or even the startup themselves has been like, they've been working on this for years and then at some point it just explodes. And I think that's also something where you can think about compound interest. For example, at Y Combinator, one of the best things you can do early on in an early stage startup is growing very quickly week over week. It depends a bit on your business model, but generally if you grow week over week by a couple of percentage points, and if you think um, like long enough into the future, you will build a very big business. And I think that's a very powerful concept. And um, I, I would love if more people would think about things a bit more long-term. Because mm. I think if you play the long game, then you have a lot of advantages that you don't have when you play, when you play games in general. And it's so difficult, right? You are, you are very impatient. I'm probably at least as impatient, but <laughs> sometimes it just pays off to, to think about the long term. And there was a lot of, a lot of talking, but I, I just wanted to bring the points across. Yeah, I, I totally see how the context helps to better understand what it's about. Um, I have one, one question um, to kind of summarize it up and maybe you can help there um, mm -hmm. you mentioned the kind of financial aspect of it how mm. do you personally help um, yourself be reminded of the compounding effect in a situation um, to kind of where maybe you think about the short term only because of mm. certain context or so the, the just the environment and how do you kind of move from a short term to a long-term thinking and then also kind of integrate the compounding effect as a mental model into your thinking? Yeah. So first of all, it's difficult. Like I said, it's just mm. not really natural to think about things like that. And I do two things. One, compound interest or the compound effect, to be precise, is one of my virtues and principles or just things that I want to incorporate into my life. I have like a list of 35 things. Compound effect is one of them. I try to read that list once a day just to remind myself of these things. And that helps to some degree. But then also, especially for more important decisions, I, I just have a couple of things that I always take a look at. And uh, compounding is usually one of them. So I try to find ways or levers of actually using compound effects. It's not always possible, I think, but often it is possible. And actually, there's a good book that i've i've only read uh, i have to say i've only read like half of it uh, because some like at some point it's a bit repetitive but it's actually called the compound effect from darren hardy 
Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a great book, and I think it ha- it's one of the only books that I've seen that has almost like five stars uh, on Amazon. So maybe take a look at that if you want to learn more about this. Cool. But yeah, basically Excellent. it's just about thinking about it a lot and then hopefully incorporating it into decisions. Perfect. Thanks for sharing. I think that's um, I've, I've definitely come across it more often, but I think also getting your perspective on it helps to better understand when to integrate it into the kind of perfect moment. Yeah, maybe maybe you want to tell us what your mental model of the day is. Sure. Um, so I think mine that I wanted to mention is um, it, it potentially is a negative mental model that should help convert it into a positive one, which is mm. a, the first conclusion bias, um, mm-hmm. mm. which I think is something that, that, of course, we as humans have kind of come across quite often and we grow up building conclusions um, from things we read, from things we listen to from our parents or friends or just the environment. Um, and I think where, where it kind of comes down to is that we try to understand um, more or less the quick and simple answers to potentially even more complicated problems. And we, of course, try to conclude in order to move on and to, in order to kind of make decisions. Um, and interestingly enough, I think it happens across very, very different topics right when when you see when you see kind of people that you want to recruit for the first time and and um, can, they were maybe certain things or you have heard about certain things about them you already start judging and concluding about these people potentially you shouldn't but some people do um, you when you when you kind of invest money you potentially have heard that a certain stock is not valuable from a friend and you start to conclude that potentially the stock is not very valuable, even though you haven't really done any research. Um, or even I think going step one step more into personal life when choosing a sport, I think many people conclude, and that's also a conclusion that I'm making, right? Interestingly enough, people conclude based on how other people kind of have talked about certain sports that they don't want to, don't want to actually do that sport because they don't feel that they're kind of they they are not they they're not maybe equipped for the sports for example if you're not tall you can't play basketball it's a kind mm. of first conclusion bias that people have that i find very interesting to observe um, and i think there's a person francis bacon who has summarized it quite well oh he said, i love him yeah he, he's great um and he has kind of summarized it well saying um, that the human understanding like the first conclusion by it is that the, the human understanding when it has once adopted an opinion either as being the received opinion or as being agreed agreeable to itself draws all things else to support and agree with it so everything that kind of surrounds the current state in gives us a momentum of kind of building a first conclusion that might not be the right thing to do at the moment um and I think there are different reasons why we build kind of those first conclusion biases. Of course, there are certain recent activities that have happened uh, maybe in the last two weeks, and that kind of gives you um, a feeling to conclude about a certain topic um, or, of course, personal experiences. Um, I've talked about at the beginning, your parents have told you something and you start to conclude about a certain topic that you um, maybe should do more research about. Um, and I think Tony Robbins calls these kind of personal experiences reference points that are kind of part of your brain and they they more or less give you the, the tool to make decisions. And I find that very interesting how first conclusion biases um, have such a potential negative impact on making decisions. Uh, 
and that's kind of how i how i think that that we should have a more a more detailed look at why we why we conclude so quickly um, mm. and i also have a couple of ideas on how we can potentially avoid them but i i just wanted to ask back to you mike um is there anything that you would like to add to kind of the the overall summary and definition of 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 the first conclusion bias yeah first of all i think um it's it's actually very funny that you bring this up because it's very much related to the book recommendation that i have uh hmm. later uh so there will be a good transition but uh, i think the cool thing cool thing in quotation marks about the conclusion bias is it is related to a couple of other cognitive biases right because um, the first thing that pops into my mind when I think of first conclusion bias is that it's very close related to confirmation bias. Yep. Because once you have the idea in your head and you just believe that, I don't know, for example, uh, let's, let's just use an example. I won't uh, like evaluate it. Just say the minimum wage is bad for the economy. Let's just say that's, that's what you heard. Mm. You read an explanation for it that sounded reasonable and now you just believe it. Then Afterwards, the confirmation bias kicks in because you will actually actively look for information that supports your belief, right? Okay. Mm. And you, you, you almost, uh, you're almost negating evidence that contradicts it. So once you are actually in the trap of the first conclusion bias, the next biases just kick in. So keeping an open mind up front and looking at different perspectives probably seems like a good idea just to avoid a lot of like just a long chain of uh, of biases and the mm. other thing i was thinking about is that it almost makes a bit sense that we have this bias right because once you have an explanation that is good enough theoretically you would probably survive and that's sometimes how our brain works right <laughs> if you know don't use this like trail because there are rocks falling down use the other trail then you, you're not really inclined to investigate why did the rocks fall down? Was someone pushing them? Was it like nature or whatever? You just think, okay, well, there were rocks falling down. I, I won't take this just as a bad analogy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's a very, very important thing to be aware of because if you're aware of it, you can almost tackle it a bit. Absolutely. And I love that you just mentioned, right? You need to question certain environments to potentially be aware of also the conclusion and confirmation bias and that was mm -hmm. also a thing that i wanted to kind of give forward as 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 kind of one idea of how to avoid them i think the first kind of step is to, you need to ask better questions and one thing that helped that's kind of helped me in the last weeks when reading uh, principles by ray dalio is that you need to understand your role in a conversation and i think i've mentioned it before right are you a teacher um so are you actually a person that is that has subject matter expertise in a certain topic? Are you a peer where you think you are kind of on, on one line with the other person about a certain topic and, and you're both kind of subject matter expertise potentially in a certain topic? Or are you a student? And the more you become a student in a conversation, the more you should care about asking great questions mm. because that's going to help also to not conclude too quickly. And that's going to help you to first better understand why certain things kind of are, are how they are and maybe how they can also be seen from different perspectives and then you could potentially avoid building conclusion biases um, from the start um, and of course there are different ways on how to kind of ask better questions i think tim ferris has talked about this quite often study questions um, about how tim ferris or joe rogan they ask they have a certain way of asking questions maybe you can learn from them um, and that's something that i would give forward and the other one is more about 
building a framework for decision making or potentially also conclusion making uh, as we could call it because i think as soon as you have a principle in place of how you decide about about a certain topic you are potentially avoiding the situation of becoming into a conclusion bias because you always know okay before i conclude i need to kind of follow my principle um for example i think um you can have a principle like I think Ray Dalio also explained it quite nicely. And I learned a lot from him from, from a decision-making process is that he, he kind of brings it down to four points, which is thinking principles, algorithms, and then he makes great decisions. Um, and we can go that into more detail, maybe in another episode, but build a framework or a principle of how to make decisions or conclusions. And then you will not fall into the trap of potentially following into kind of first conclusion biases um, as a, as an idea, right? It's not, I, it's, it's not something that I would put on paper immediately, but it's something that I, I will also test, uh, test out further. Okay. Yeah. One, one addition to that, there is actually a really good book about asking better questions and it's called a more beautiful question from, yeah, yeah. I think from Berger, really good book. Uh, I, I liked it a lot. I think it, it's again, one of these books that, has a very good premise and could probably be summarized to like half or a third of the actual length of the book. Like but a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I think that's also something Paul Graham uh, writes about from time to time that uh, he, he thinks that conciseness is not often valued uh, enough in, mm. in publishing and it should be. But sometimes it's also helpful to just get a, usually how these books are, or how many of these books are structured is they explain a premise, then they give you a lot of examples, and then they just go into more detail. And sometimes the examples actually help, but sometimes it also gets a bit, a bit boring. But that, that, like, let's just say the book is really good if you want to learn how to ask good questions. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's, a called, it's called A More Beautiful Question, and I think it's from Berger. Cool. And, Thanks for sharing. Uh, Actually, I, I would transition now to the book uh, recommendation for today, like the official book recommendation. That's the third. But mm -hmm. you, get, you, you get three for one today if you're listening. So um, the one I wanted you're to suggest... You're such a sale, is, sales guy, Mike. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I am. But, but one of the good ones. <laughs> I, I only try to sell you good stuff. And one of these good things is actually a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which is very known uh, like probably almost everyone has heard of it but it's really really good and what it is about it's basically tackling cognitive biases and heuristics and it explains why we as humans used our brain to basically survive by using heuristics by using biases because they're often good enough or sometimes help you in the immediate situation but the, the, the other thing is like your heuristics and what your brain thinks at first is often very, very wrong. And he has some very, like Kahneman, the author, has some very good examples of that in the book. And basically, it's, uh, the book is about two modes of thought. System one, which is when you think fast, which you are, when you are instinctive or emotional, and that's how you do quick decisions. That's why you're even able to react within like seconds or milliseconds. Mm -hmm. But then also you have system two, which is slower, more deliberative and more logical, where you actually analyze things. And the problem is that system one often wins in the short term. And that's, that's why you are often wrong with quick decisions. 
And there are a lot of very good examples for cognitive biases and how you can avoid them in this book. And I very much appreciate the work Kahneman has done. And he, he has worked with someone else I really admire who's called Tversky. And I'll definitely recommend a couple of other things from them in the future. But yeah, really, really good book. If you haven't read it, uh, I think you should. Agreed. Uh, it's, it's, very, it's very insightful and it will help you to be smarter about the world and about your decisions. And now that I think about it, maybe we should actually talk about cognitive biases in more detail at some point and just get us a list of the 40 most important ones. Actually, I think I have one of those in my note system and just explain some of them. Mm -hmm. Because my feeling is it's super difficult to actually not be biased in your decision making. But one of the only ways that seems to work is actually being aware of these biases. And then sometimes, like for more important decisions, just get yourself a list and just see like which bias could apply and how can I avoid it? But yeah, really good book. Mm, absolutely agree. And it's one of and, these books that you need to pick up kind of every two or three years. Yeah. Kind of yeah. yeah. I've reread it like twice, I think already. Mm. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just one of my favorites. Cool. And there's also, I think a, for, for the quick read or for the people that want to get a quick read, I think there's like a short version of it, right? Uh, I actually don't know. There, yeah, like there's so. probably like 100,000 summaries of it. So if you don't want to read the book, <laughs> just go on YouTube, type in thinking fast and slow, and there will be a 10 minute video that gives you the gist of it, yeah. um, which sometimes actually works, right? It's, it's better than not reading yeah. the book or right. it's better than studying it and then not finishing it or whatever. And you can't read every single book. So agree, especially I, I when, when a person like you has sold it quite nicely before, I think people are going to get very hyped at kind of understanding the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, just, just try to Google it. There are some really good websites that explain it. And I think understanding the core of it is more important than the nuances. Yeah. And that's also one thing that I've, I've realized over time. You don't need to read every single book in full detail. Sometimes understanding the core message is enough and then reflecting on the core message from time to time, Hmm. usually by writing it down somewhere where you can look it up again, but there are just way too many books in the world, which is sad, but also good because there's just so much, so much stuff that we can still read, but you can't read it all. So sometimes just opt for the YouTube video or opt for the blog summary and then just read the books you really want to read. Especially if it's kind of situated learning, right? If you have a problem at hand and you want to solve it, through maybe an academic help, then uh, I think a book can help to um, to kind of quickly understand how you could potentially solve a problem. And of course, you don't need to read the whole book. Uh, so that's kind of how I approach it, especially in product and product management. I try to kind of get summarized learnings and learning mm. um, snippets to solve certain problems. Yeah, how, how I operate in that regard is I, I just try to understand important concepts and then I actually like reread them, like not mm. the books, but the actual concepts and how they work and think about them every quarter or so. Because what I notice is once you have a couple of those in your head, which is basically the whole idea of mental models that Charlie Munger proposed, right? Once, once you've understood them and they're in your head, you, they automatically pop up when you think about decisions or when you think about specific parts of the world. And... I think really getting this, I think that he calls it, no, I actually know that he calls it, it lattice work of mental models. Uh, like having that is, is super powerful. But no, I think we're talking uh, way, too, way too much again as we, 
as we usually do, because we wanted to make it a short episode. Now it's like a medium episode. So that's good. Uh, it was fun. But maybe, Agreed. I think you got a quote for us today. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I think you have kind of been following up on them for the last episodes, but I, I took the lead today and it's a, a quote by Dwight Eisenhower, which was also mm. the president of the United States once. But um, to summarize it off, it's the quote is a people that a person that values its privileges above its principles soon loses both which mm. is great yeah especially in the current situation right yeah absolutely i mean it has it, it has so many layers i think one of the it's very it's very much related at least for me to the whole freedom debate mm. um freedom yep. and security uh what's what's the quote again do you know which which one i mean no but i think i've read it um no uh let I'm me let way. me look it up real quick oh yeah um benjamin franklin actually said it so another american those who would give give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety um it's true. not directly related but i just had to think of it uh immediately yeah it's true and i think the principles one kind of underlines i think what we talked about principles are somehow also mental models and then i think um if you have principles or mental models in place, you might also value other things in life. Yeah, I actually actually think that the the Eisenhower quote it like could probably summarize a lot of societal problems or just general like misgivings or just structural yeah structural injustices over the like probably all of humanity, but in our case, like the last 100 years, because if you actually value, if it's actually one of your principles that everyone should have the same chance to succeed, then mm. you would actually be pissed about a lot of the things that are happening out there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And especially so, um, June 2020, I think there are a lot of related topics. So I think people can relate potentially to the quote quite a lot. Definitely. Yeah. We will stay out of politics for now, but uh, I think you, you get where we, are, <laughs> where we are coming from and what we want to convey. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Um, really enjoyed it again. I think we, uh, of course, we took a little longer, but I also we kind of took a little, little deep dive into the mental models and people were interested. So hopefully that this was of value. Thanks for, for the chat. I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. For everyone listening, if you haven't subscribed or on Spotify, it's called follow, then feel free to do that. It makes it much easier for you to see the next episodes. Uh, quick shout out to Parker from Abanda Media, who's cutting our episodes. Great guy. Good work. And other than that, if you have any questions or if you want us to answer questions, because we actually have uh, a lot of listeners by now who send us uh, in their questions. We will probably do a Q&A episode very soon uh, after we've gathered and screened enough of them. So if there's anything you want us to talk about, just shoot us a message. You can find us on LinkedIn or Twitter or uh, I don't know. If you, if you find out our email, send us an email. <laughs> but yeah, happy, happy to use your feedback and answer the questions. And other than that, as always, it was a pleasure, Max. Have a good day. Likewise. Thanks, Mike.